Welcome to this week's episode of the North Bible Church Podcast. Now, let's join our pastor as we open God's Word together. Great. My name is Eric Wilgen, and uh, I'm married to my wife, my beautiful wife, Julie. We have a picture of my family. There we are. We have five kids. We have Ariel. She's eight. Alicia is seven. Trinity is almost four. Isaiah is four months. And um, last year, Kylie passed away, and uh, she went on ahead of us, uh, but we're looking forward to meeting her again one day. And so those are our five kids. That's our family. We're missionaries. Next, next slide. We're missionaries with Africa Inland Mission. And uh, <coughs> we've been with Africa Inland Mission for a while now. Uh, the goal of Africa Inland Mission is to see Christ-centered churches established among all of Africa's peoples. We can go to the next slide. Africa has 57 countries. And AIM is involved in these ones that you can see. Uh, these are all the ones where we can work openly. And then there's a number of countries that we call creative access countries, where you can't <laughs> legally be a missionary. Um, but that doesn't stop someone from telling people about Jesus Christ. And so we go in different creative ways, and you see northern regions, countries not shown. And I'm not even allowed to say where we are, but um, it's about 22 countries in total in Africa. And um, for me, my journey in Africa started back in 1994. Uh, it was the summer before my senior year of high school. My church took a trip out to Kenya, and you can go to the next slide there. Um, and we spent a few weeks in Kenya sharing the gospel. And, and after that trip, I said, this is what I want to do with my life. And I enrolled in Bible school and went to Bible school. And God just kept bringing me back to Kenya. I went there for an internship. I went again in year 2000 for, for six months. And then in 2004, I just packed up my bags, bought an airplane ticket, and went for good. And so we can go to the next slide, next one. I went to an unreached area of Kenya. Kenya has 41 tribes, 20-some of them are, are considered unreached. Now, unreached means 2% or fewer people uh, know about Jesus Christ or, or are followers of Jesus Christ. And so I went to a place called Samburu District. It's northern Kenya. It's hot and dry, a little bit like Phoenix, very undeveloped, uh, no paved roads or anything, no electricity, no running water. And I went out there and I found that these people are really open to the gospel, but the only reason that nobody's here is because it's a difficult place to live. Um, it's just very uncomfortable. And I prayed about it, and I just felt like God was calling me to go there and make some sacrifices for the Samburu people. And so we started to preach the gospel. This is one of our first church fellowships. There's a lot of potential there, isn't there? <laughs> um, my... Uh, my attitude towards this was whoever God gives us, we're going to work with and we're going to minister and we're going to tell them about the love of Jesus Christ. And this is pretty typical. Generally, we had 90% or more women and children that would come uh, to our church services. Um, but we just shared the love of Christ with them. And go to the next picture. This is me with my camel. I was known as the missionary with the camel. His name was Pedro. And Samburu district, there's not a lot of roads, and there's a, a lot of people that are just living in really interior, hard-to-reach areas. 
And so me and another pastor decided, let's get some camels, and then we can hike, we can trek. Our camel trekking ministry is what we called it, and we'll trek to where they are, and we'll share the gospel with them. So we took the Jesus film equipment, we took tents, supplies, food, everything. We put them on the backs of the camel, and we went into the interior, to the ends of the earth. Um, so Pedro is, uh, was a great um, sort of publicity for the missionary lifestyle, um, but owning a camel's not all it's cracked up to be, I'll be honest. Uh, so uh, you can go to the, the next slide. Um, this is a typical fellowship after church. We're hanging out. Um, the Samburu were really photogenic, um, which helped a lot in the missionary prayer letters. Um, next slide. We began meeting under trees, um, and that was typical of that culture. You sit under the tree in the shade, and they discuss ideas. And after a while, the, the, our church members said, we need a church. And so finally we said, okay, we'll build a building. And so we got a few of us together. We bought the timber. We put together a building. Um, it's a far cry from Scottsdale. I know that. Um, but we were proud of this. And um, to this day, the building has no sides. That was our agreement with the, the church members. We'll put the roof on. You put up the sides. Um, they didn't hold up their part of the bargain, but um, it's still there. I, I go on Google Maps, and I just check to see, has that thing fallen down yet? Nope, it's still there. Uh, so I can see the, the tin roof. The next slide. Um, one of the challenges with working with the Samburu people is they're mostly illiterate. Uh, very few have ever been to school. And so we're trying to disciple them and uh, you know, get them into the Word of God, but how do you do that with a people group that they don't know how to read? Um, and so we got some creative ideas. One of them was we'll use pictures, and we'll teach them through pictures. And so this is a picture of the heart of man. You can see there it's got uh, different um, animals there in the middle. Uh, peacock, that's, that's pride, and you've got the turtle, that's like uh, laziness, the pig is gluttony, those type of things. We, and, and through that, we're able to explain to them, you know, what's, what's in our hearts that makes us, you know, separated from God, that, that, that is the sin that's in our hearts. And uh, they understood that. There was another thing that we figured out. You can go to the next slide. Um, somebody had... This is a, a hand-cranked cassette player. And somebody a long time ago had made a, a bunch of discipleship lessons put them on cassette and we could put it in that cassette player and they would just crank it away all night long cranking those those discipleship lessons and to go with it was a little picture book that tells you know the creation story noah's ark all the important stories that we learn in in, in sunday school you know and we take them for granted they're totally new to them and they would listen to that 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 uh, cassette until they had that thing memorized and they didn't even need it. And I remember one time we were giving the cassette and a booklet at an, one family's house and one of our other friends got so excited and he's like, he just grabs a book and he's like, I want to tell you guys a story and he just starts going through the story and we're like, wow, you know, it's, it's, you know, God is doing something here. He's actually reaching these people. And so I did that for a few years, that itinerant ministry, and I began to get Lonely, I don't know. I don't know what the word is, but uh, I said, Lord, I need somebody here with me. 
and I, and I began to pray, and I said, Lord, I, I need a wife. I think I'm at the time that I, I need a wife, and I don't want just anybody. I need somebody that has a heart for the ministry, that has a heart for Africa. I don't want to pull someone here that doesn't want to be here, and I don't want to stay in America to make her happy when, when I'll be unhappy. And so I said, Lord, you're going to have to bring her to me. And so the next slide. He brought me Julie, and she came out on a short-term trip in 2006, and uh, sparks flew, emotions ran high. Um, she had that twinkle in her eye. Anyway, we got, we got married two years later. We did, dated by Skype for two years, which I don't recommend, but... Uh, <laughs> And she came out and joined me, uh, and the first time I brought her to Samburu, to all my friends there, one of my friends said, Eric, you waited so long to get married, I thought you were going to marry a beautiful woman. I was like, what? He says, well, in our culture, a woman is beautiful when she has a big gap in the front of her teeth. And, <laughs> and I thought, oh, her parents paid a lot of money to get rid of that gap, so it's okay. Um, after a while, it, it, it seemed like the itinerant ministry was going to be difficult with the family, and so we, we prayed, and God opened up a door for us to do something that was a little more settled. The next picture, we took over a discipleship program for high school graduates in Kenya, and so one of the unique things about Kenya is all the high schoolers take their final exams the same day, and then the exams go to the capital to be graded, and so you wait months, sometimes nine months, sometimes up to a year to get your results. And so you don't know if you're going to go to college or what's going to happen to you until you get those uh, exam results. And so that whole year after high school is just wasted. Um, and we thought instead of them wasting a year after high school, instead of them getting into trouble and doing things they shouldn't do and get into uh, stuff they shouldn't be getting into, let's have a program where they can come and stay with us and we can do Bible studies with them, uh, teach them how to do ministry, help them to get a foundation for their life so that when they do go off to university or wherever they go, that they're grounded. And so they would come and stay with us uh, 10 months out of the year, and uh, we had a, a farm, 10 acres, and they would do their chores uh, in the morning, and then uh, in the afternoons and evenings, we'd do Bible studies with them, and it was just a really special ministry. We were there for three years doing that, um, and God just, just blessed that. We saw kids come to Christ. People would come to this program. You know, we were very open about this is a discipleship thing, and people would come. I, I thought this was a driving school. I thought this was a, a computer school. I'm like, we don't even have electricity out here. How do you? Anyway, <laughs> and you're not driving my car, by the way. So, um, well... At that time, our mission had one worker in the Central African Republic, and we felt like God was leading us to a change. And we prayed, and, and we said, I think we can go and uh, push the work a little bit there in the Central African Republic. We can go to the next page. So as the name says, the Central African Republic is right in the middle of Africa. Um, it's a small country. It is the least developed country in the world. In the, in, in the rankings of human development, uh, it's at the bottom, and, and uh, it's a very difficult place to work. Uh, but we went there. Next slide. We, we checked it out, 
this is a picture of me praying with someone. You can see Julie's knees in the corner there, but um, we said, yeah, this is, this is, you know, God's doing something here in the Central African Republic. We want to be a part of it. And so the Central African Republic is French-speaking. Uh, so we said, okay, let's go get some French training. We went for one year to France. When we were in France, civil war broke out in the Central African Republic. Even to this day, there's still, uh, it's still all divided up. There's, it's still not safe. Um, so our mission said, you can't go. You're going to have to find another place. Um, we're in French school. We're learning French, and we said, you know, we can't go back to an English country. What's the point of being here in French school? Uh, Lord, show us where we should go. Next, next slide. Chad, right next door. Chad is, again, kind of there in the center of Africa, next Sudan on one side, Libya to the north. Um, kind of surrounded by a lot of messed up countries, but Chad was stable, and there's a strong church in Chad, um, although a young church. The gospel came to Chad in the 1940s and 50s, so it hasn't even been there very long. Um, but they, were, they wanted help with discipleship, and we had done discipleship in Kenya, and we thought, maybe this is a good fit for us. And so we went to Chad. You can Next picture. So this is a typical day in Chad. Chad is like Phoenix hot, 10 months out of the year, 100 degrees, 110 every day for 10 months. Um, and there's no, there's no electricity, there's no air conditioning. So it, it gets really bad when the monsoon season is coming and the humidity starts building up. And it's not good for the marriage because you're just kind of crabby all the time. Um, when it's dry, when it's dry like Phoenix, it's somewhat bearable. But um, this is a typical day. They're sorting peanuts here. There's Trinity. Trinity was born in Chad. Our, our older two daughters were born in Kenya. Um, we also thought, um, we thought that having a baby in Chad would be like having a baby in Kenya, and it totally different. Um, so when we were pregnant with our fourth, we said, we have to do this somewhere else. Um, but that's Solomon over here. Solomon became one of my best friends there. He was the director of a Bible school that was done in the vernacular language, a very low level, maybe a high school level Bible school, or maybe even junior high, because most of the students there had never even finished high school. And so um, we became good friends. Uh, next picture. One of the things about being friends in Africa, especially in Chad, is that when you have a good girlfriend, you get clothes made to match. And so they hatched up a scheme like, let's get some dresses and get them made. And they got them made and they put them on. And I, I love their faces because they're like, somehow this was better in my imagination <laughs> than... I don't mean she laughs at that too. It's, uh, you won't be seeing that dress, by the way. So that one has been retired. Um, so next picture. I went to Chad to do discipleship with the church, and, but it, it was like their idea was like, here's a couple million people, disciple them. And I was like, I can't do this myself. Um, but we can do it together. And so I actually began meeting mostly with pastors and helping pastors to do discipleship with the people in their churches. And, um, you know, the ministry evolved over time. And through that, we got an opportunity to teach in the seminary there. Um, but my mission said, you can't teach in the seminary unless you finish your master's. 
So at that point we said, okay, let's, let's just put the brakes on things for a little bit. I'll come back, I'll finish my master's. And that's how we landed here in Phoenix. Uh, Phoenix has a very, uh, Phoenix Seminary, um, not too far away from here on Shea, uh, has a very generous scholarship for missionaries, one that we couldn't refuse, you know? And so two years ago, actually, two years to today, we moved to Phoenix uh, to, to finish my master's. Um, so next page. So that's me. That's a little bit about me and, and Julie and our family and, and what we've been through. Um, but what about you? you know, I, don't, I don't stand up here and just assume that like, because God called me to be a missionary, he wants you to be a missionary too. That would be wrong. But I do know that God wants you to do something. And so I want us to get into the word today. We're in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. If you have your Bibles, your Bible apps, you can open up to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And I want to talk about living for the one who died for us. And that sounds a little bit cliche, but it's what the Bible talks about, living for the one who died. Um, and maybe you hear my stories and you see me up here and you can't imagine why anybody would ever choose to be a missionary, uh, to go through all of those things. Um, but the reason I chose to be a missionary is that I believe that there is a message that every person needs to hear. Um, let's go to 2 Corinthians 5, 11 to 21. It says, therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others, but what we, are known, what we are is known to God, and I hope it is also known to your conscience. And before we start walking through this, they teach us in hermeneutics class, that's Bible study class, that whenever you come to a therefore, you have to go back and find out what it's there for. And so <clears throat> the verses right before this, Paul is saying, we're all going to face judgment one day. We're all going to end up at the judgment seat of Christ for whatever we do, good or bad, we're going to stand before Christ. We can go to the next slide. I don't know if any millennials here know who's, who uh, Keith Green is. I, but maybe you baby boomers have heard of him. Um, Keith Green is the reason that we're not singing hymns with a pipe organ here in church. He was kind of at the cutting edge of contemporary Christian music back in the 70s and early 80s. He died in a plane crash in 1982, um, but his legacy kind of lived on. And he said, all roads lead to the judgment seat of Christ. And that's really sobering when you think about it, that all of us are going to stand before God and have to give an account for what we do. We'll all be judged. Hebrews 9.27 says, Just as it is uh, appointed unto a man to die once, and after that to face judgment. That's what's going to happen. There's no getting around it. And so every person needs to know that, and I want to make sure that every person is ready for that. And so uh, going to, let's go back to the next slide. There we go. Therefore, going back, so he says, Therefore, because... We know that we're going to be judged one day. We know that we're going to stand before God. Are we ready? Knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. This is evangelism. Knowing the fear of the Lord. Why? Because we don't want them to be unprepared. And then it says, we are known to God, but what we are is, we are known to, what we are is known to God, and I hope it's also known to your conscience. That technically, this is, this is in reference to Paul's ministry. In Corinth, 
Paul was facing some uh, opposition from people in Corinth who said, you know, he's not a legitimate apostle. Uh, he's not like the others. Um, people said he's there for a different reason. Maybe he's got an ulterior motive. He's got a hidden agenda. And, you know, Paul is kind of defending himself and he's saying, hey, listen, God knows my motives. God knows why I'm here. I hope you know it too. But, and, he, and he defends himself. Remember, it, we read in Acts that when he got to Corinth, he found Priscilla and Aquila, and they were tent makers. And guess what? So was he. And so they worked together. And he paid his own way in Corinth. He wasn't there mooching off of people. And he said, that should at least show you that I'm sincere in what I'm doing. So his motives were true. His motives were pure. Um, but I look at that and I say, well, that may be talking about Paul, but what about us also? You know, there's a lot of people that come to church for different reasons. Let's not be naive. There's people here that some people come because it's going to benefit their business. You know, they think, oh, I'm going to rub shoulders with people, and, you know, that's going to drive some business for me. And uh, I've heard some horror stories. You know, people trust people at church, uh, and then they get taken advantage of because, you know, they're kind of wolves in sheep's clothing. Um, that's just, that's life. It happens, and it happened then. It happens now. Um, it's human nature, and human nature hasn't, hasn't changed. Uh, next slide. But what we are is known to God. <clears throat> now, I'm a seminary student, so you know you're going to get some Greek. So uh, he says, we are known to God. Now, the, the word behind we are known is revealed, made known, made, you know, made apparent. It's phanerao, to reveal, to expose publicly. Uh, it comes from the, the word phino, meaning to shine on. So the idea here is that God sees everything in the light. We think that we're hiding something from God, but God sees it plain as, as day. Uh, we can't hide anything from God, and that's sobering to think about. He knows everything. He knows our actions. He knows what we do when nobody's around. He knows our motives. You know, that's scary. God knows our motives. He knows maybe you're doing something good, but you're doing it with the wrong motive. God knows that. God knows why you're doing that. You know, do you realize that there's nothing that you can hide from God? He sees it all. He knows it all. Jesus often exposed men's thoughts. You know, think about when they lowered the, the paralytic to Jesus. And the first thing Jesus says is, your, sons, your sins are forgiven. And there are people murmuring in the crowd, how can he forgive sins? Who does he think he is? And it says Jesus knew their thoughts. And then he says, so that you can know that the Son of Man is able to forgive sins, get up and walk. And the guy gets up and walks. You know, to the Pharisees, he knows their thoughts. He knows when they grumble against him. You know, and he talked to them. He knows all our dirty little secrets. Are you ready to stand before him? Let's go to 2 Corinthians 5.12. Now, we're not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you a cause to boast about us so that you may be able to answer those who boast about the outward appearance, but not about what is in the heart. And this is the challenge of the Christian life. It's the outward appearance versus the heart. The challenge is to get our outward appearance to align with the heart or to get our hearts to align with our outward appearance. Um, you know, we live in Scottsdale. Scottsdale is all about the outward appearance. 
what your house looks like, the car you drive, the clothes you wear. I was telling this to Julie the other day, new clothes, new, <laughs> new car. And then she's like, new face, new body, you know. <laughs> I thought, I had heard somewhere that, that Scottsdale was the plastic surgery capital of the world. I wanted to be sure, so I Googled it. It's not. Um, actually, Salt Lake City by capita is the plastic surgery capital of the world. I don't know what's going up there, going on up there, but, um, and by sheer number, it's Beverly Hills. So we can, uh, we've kind of dodged that bullet. But I started asking, like, well, what is Scottsdale the capital of? Scottsdale is the capital of cryogenics. Did you know that? Cryogenics, you can freeze your body for eternity if you want. It's really bizarre. You can't make this stuff up. You know, they, you go to their websites and they talk about living forever, as if freezing your body is, is like better in any way. I don't know. Um, but I thought, that's interesting. These are, you know, these are just ways for people to avoid reality and to avoid, you know, they think that we can get around God different ways, and we can't. So as much as we try, we can't get around God's way of doing things. Um, 2 Corinthians 5.13. For if we are beside ourselves, it's for God. And if we are in our right mind, it's for you. It's not the first time uh, that Paul's been accused of being out of his mind. In, in Acts 26 and 24, 26 verse 24, he's in front of Festus and he's sharing the gospel. And Festus says, Paul, are you crazy? Do you think I'm going to become a Christian in such a short time? Well, <clears throat> Paul's answer is, well, I don't care if it's a short time or a long time, I hope you become a Christian. Um, and, you know, I was doing, I was reading a commentary, some people don't really, it, it's not totally clear what he means by beside himself or, or not, but um, I love the way one commentary put it, he said, uh, Paul's life was centered on God and on others and not on himself. And I think that's just kind of the essence of it. Paul's focused on God, others, and not himself. Next verse, 2 Corinthians 5.14, the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one died for all, and therefore all died. And uh, <coughs> this love of God, we're going to go to the next slide here. There's a tension here. The love of God versus, uh, the love of Christ versus the fear of God. The fear of God, when I think of the fear of God, I, I think of, you know, people, people will do things out of fear that aren't rational, that are just, you know, they can be so scared that they'll just do it. And we can stand before God and we're trembling. And people will preach the, the gospel out of the fear of God without any love of Christ. And, and those are the kind of people that, that, you know, they just want to hit people with their Bible. God says this, and they, that's why I have a big Bible. Uh, but... <laughs> But the love of Christ holds that intention and says, hey, we need to share the gospel, but we need to do it in a loving way that they can understand and accept it. And so there's this tension, the fear of God, which is good. It, makes, it sobers us, but the love of Christ gives us freedom. It, there's grace there. Um, and so it's kind of our values statement. We want to honor God, um, but we also want to submit to Christ, and we want to love Christ. And so we're continuing verse 14. Um, 
The love of Christ controls us because we have concluded that one died for all and therefore all died. Next verse. Um, and he died for all that those who might live. This is Paul's thesis statement, that those who might live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised again. Um, this is the gospel, folks. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, you know it. It's by grace we've been saved through faith. And this not of ourselves is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. Here's the deal. If I do it my way, I fail. And no matter what I do, I fail. I can't win. Everything I do is just going to lead to sin, going to lead to sickness, going to lead to death. It's a prison of my own making. And so... I don't live for myself anymore. I can't live for myself. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. In the life I live in the body, I live by faith through Christ who loved me and died for me. So the question is today, who are you living for? Is Christ living in you? And this has real practical implications. I want to go to the next slide. I want to show you one of my missionary heroes, C.T. Studd. Has anybody ever heard of C.T. Studd? C.T. Studd is a person that we should know about because I think he would fit in great in, in Phoenix and Scottsdale today. C.T. Studd was a wealthy millionaire athlete back in the late 1800s. He was a cricketer from England, uh, very famous, everybody knew who he was, and filthy rich. And God got a hold of his life and C.T. Studd said, I'm going to be a missionary. And he gave up everything to go to China to be a missionary. The Boxer Rebellion came. All the missionaries had to leave China. Uh, when he was 50, he wanted to go back. His doctor said, you can't go back. You're not healthy enough. That's, the journey's too far. The climate there is not good. Just settle down in England and do your thing in England. So what did he do? He went to Africa sailed to Africa, started a mission called the Worldwide uh, Evangelization Crusade, uh, WEC. It still exists today, over 1,800 missionaries in the world. He eventually died in Africa 18 years after he left for Africa, after the doctor said, you'll die as soon as you get there. Um, there are Christians now in Africa that can trace their lineage back to him, There's their spiritual lineage to him. And he said, if Jesus Christ be God and died for me, then no sacrifice can be too great for me to make for him. You know, think about it. Jesus paid the ultimate sacrifice. And we complain about there not being creamer for the coffee. You know, or the temperature is a little bit cold in the sanctuary. And Jesus Christ died for us. I think we can sacrifice a little bit more. So this has real implications. And we're getting to the so what's. Let's get to the next verse. From now on, therefore we have a new perspective. Even though we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ this way. Um, and so we have a new perspective. Next, next verse. A new perspective. We have a new perspective for Christ. We see Christ differently. You know, before, Christ was something we didn't even think about. And now he's everything to us. But we also see people differently. We see others differently. Instead of seeing, you know, we turn on the news and we see all kinds of protesters and Thoughts rush to our heads, and we make judgments about them. And do you think about, you know, those are people that need Jesus Christ. They need to hear about Jesus. They need to be reconciled to God. 
Next verse. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. We have a new position. I want to alliterate the points. We have a new perspective. We have a new position in Christ, meaning we have a new identity. The old is gone. Some of us have very embarrassing backgrounds. We have things that we've done in our past that we don't want anyone to know about, but the good news is in Christ, that doesn't matter. He doesn't hold it against us. It's not who you are. Now who you are is who you are in Christ. We're a new creation in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.18, Thanks be to God that he has reconciled us to himself. And this is so much more than just forgiveness. Forgiveness is like neutral. That just kind of sets the, things, you know, sets the balance at neutral. But Jesus has reconciled us. Um, it's positive. It's adding something to our account. Let's go to the next verse. I wanted to know what reconcile meant, and so I looked up the word in Greek. It's katalasso, and it means the exchange of hostility for friendship. See, it's not just like you go your way, I go my way, and we, we stop fighting, but it's like, no, we're, not only are we not enemies anymore, but now we're friends. And that's what Christ has done for us. He's reconciled us. Through Christ, we have friendship with God. Now imagine, this is like Israel and Palestine hugging and getting along and saying they like each other. This is how significant it is. And so I, I began to think about that, and I want to go to the next slide, because this illustrates it. I don't know if you know where these two countries are, Ethiopia and Eritrea, but these two countries hated each other. Since the 1960s, they fought wars against each other. And just last month, they announced a joint declaration of peace. And you see the guys are hugging. It's not even the handshake, it's the hug. It's like, come here, brother. We're brothers now. This is the example. This is what reconciliation does. It brings people together. And Christ has reconciled us to God. We're no longer his enemies. He, we're his friends. Next verse. I have 12 seconds. <laughs> Sorry. He is reconciling the world to himself, and he has given us the message of reconciliation. That's the gospel. Even one of the earliest copies that we have of, of 2 Corinthians, it's the, 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 the copyist made a, a, an editorial decision and, and put in gospel instead of the message of reconciliation. But that's just, that just illustrates the point, that that is the gospel, that Jesus Christ has reconciled us to God. And so let's go to the next verse. We are his ambassadors. We are his ambassadors for Christ, making his appeal to, through us that be reconciled to God. We announce, we explain, we persuade. We make his agenda known. It's not about us. It's not our agenda. It's not what we want. We make his agenda known. We make his agenda our agenda. And his agenda is be reconciled to God. Jesus died in our place so that we can have a relationship with God. So, next slide. We have a new perspective, we have a new position, and we have a new purpose. And that's to be his ambassadors, his, amb his messengers, living for him and not for ourselves, so that the whole world can know. I want to do one more slide here. I don't know if you know who John Armott is. He's from the early 1900s. He was a missionary mobilizer. He won the Nobel Peace Prize in 1946. 
but he was committed to the cause of Christ. And Woodrow Wilson offered him the ambassadorship to Japan. And John Armott said, Mr. President, since God called me as a student to be an ambassador of his, my ears have been deaf to all other calls. You know. Now what? What do we do? Well, I think there's a couple things I want you to take away from this. Number one, the most important thing, be reconciled to God. If you're like me, maybe you grew up in church. I went to church ever since I can remember. And one day I realized that my pastor keeps talking about having a relationship with Jesus, and I don't know what that means. I know I don't have a relationship with Jesus. I don't know what it means for God to be my friend. And that humbled me. And it scared me also because I didn't want to face judgment without knowing who Jesus was. The Bible says be reconciled to God. If you don't know who Jesus is, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, make today the day. You can repent. One John, 1 John says, <clears throat> if we say we have no sins, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and purify us from all unrighteousness. Repent, confess, Romans 10.9 says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Believe and receive. Jesus wants to come into your life. He wants to reconcile you. But you need to make that decision. I can't make it for you. No one can make it for you. Secondly, ask God to help you. Ask God to help you to change your perspective. We have a new perspective we need to embrace that. Embrace your position as a new creature, new identity in Jesus Christ, and then ask God to help you to live out his purpose. Ask God to open your eyes to what you, what you can do in your world. You know, ask him to show you how you can be a part of what he's doing around Scottsdale, around Phoenix, Arizona, the United States, around the world. You know, will you go? Do you want to be a missionary? Is God calling you to be a missionary? Maybe he is. Is God calling you to be an ambassador? That one I can assure you he is. He wants all of us to be his ambassadors. You can be an ambassador to your neighbors, to your co-workers, to your friends, to your strangers, whoever they may be, to your family even. You can be an ambassador and go with the message, we're going to die, we have to face judgment. Are you ready? Here's what Jesus has done for you. I want to read, uh, real quick, The Fellowship of the Unashamed. This is a, something that was left by a pastor who was martyred many years ago. And when they came to collect his belongings, they found this written. And, and it says, I am part of the unashamed. I have the Holy Spirit's power. The die has been cast. I have stepped over the line. The decision has been made. I am a disciple of Jesus Christ. I won't look back, let up, slow down, back away, or be still. My past is redeemed, my, presence makes sense. my present makes sense, and my future is secure. I am finished and done with low living, sight walking, small planning, smooth knees, colorless dreams, chintzy giving, and dwarfed goals. I no longer need preeminence, prosperity, position, promotions, plaudits, or popularity. I don't have to be right, first, tops, recognized, praised, regarded, or rewarded. For now I live by his presence, learn by faith, love by patience, am uplifted by prayer, and labor by power.
My pace is set, my gait is fast, my goal is heaven, my road is narrow, my way is rough, my companions few, but my guide reliable, and my mission is clear. I cannot be bought, compromised, deterred, lured away, turned back, deluded, or delayed. I will not flinch in the face of sacrifice, hesitate in the presence of adversity, negotiate at the table of the enemy, ponder at the pool of popularity, or meander in the maze of mediocrity. I am a disciple of Jesus Christ. I must go until he returns, give until I drop, preach until all know, and work until he comes. And when he comes to get his own, he will have no problem recognizing me. My banner will be clear. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for the message of reconciliation, Lord. We thank you for the way that you have changed us. We thank you that you have brought us to be your friends. And Lord, I pray that you would let this message of reconciliation sink into our hearts, help us to understand our new perspective, our new identity, and our new purpose, Lord. Change us, Lord. Open our eyes to what you're doing around here. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. North Bible Church is located in Scottsdale, Arizona and exists to equip all generations to love God, love one another, and love the world. For more information about North, please visit our website at northbiblechurch.com.